We are continuing our uh, series on this uh, book, on the call, the life and message of the Apostle Paul. Every chapter really is chock full of great information, uh, more than we could possibly cover in the course of worship over these weeks. So I encourage you, if this uh, series has been uh, interesting to you or spoken to you, the book might be another resource to dive deeper into some of the material that we've been covering. Tonight we are talking about our call to give. And honestly, for some of us, it, it may feel similar to our reaction uh, when we talked about the call to suffer. And that is, we just don't really even want to talk about it, right? Many of us know exactly what it means to give, and we're tired of giving. Because lots of people, in fact, almost everyone, wants something from us, right? Time or money or energy or our presence at, at something or uh, or our attention, or our, our wisdom, or our service. Everybody wants something from us, and many of us feel tapped out. We've given at the office, and we've given at church, and we've given at home, and we've given at school, and we've given to all of the organizations that we support, and all the people that knock on our door. We, we've just given until we don't have anything left to give. And it's easy enough for us, in all of that, to become weary and tired. It's even easy enough for us to become cynical about giving. And the truth is, it doesn't have to be that way. When we get to that place where we are cynical about giving, often it's because giving has become an obligation for us rather than an opportunity for us. But the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives changes that. Because we begin to understand that giving is an opportunity that comes when we realize that we only give because of what we've been given. We're called to give because we are invited to receive. And that makes all the difference in how we feel and what we do about being called to give. We're going to talk about this tonight. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word to us, open our ears to hear your word to us, and we pray that your voice and your word would take hold of us in a way that transforms us, that helps us see clearly where you are at work in us and through us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this book, in the book, this chapter actually follows uh, basically Paul's third missionary journey. We've, we've been uh, looking at the life and, and call of Paul. And this third missionary journey uh, begins, Paul has been back in Syrian, uh, Syria, Antioch, and he is now set out on this journey. After spending some time there in Syria, Antioch, he departed and went from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. So he leaves again and sets out. He's visiting churches that he has previously started. He's checking in with them. He's seeing how things are going. He's encouraging them. He's teaching them. He's reminding them. And he gets uh, to Ephesus, which is kind of the anchor of this missionary journey. 
There's a timeline that's in the, in the book. So this journey begins in 53 and runs for about four years. Paul will spend about three years of this in Ephesus. You can see again on this map, on the far right, starting in Syria and Antioch and back through Tarsus and Derby, these churches, these places where he started in Galatia, ending up uh, then for that long stretch of time in Ephesus. An important part of this journey. Paul, so Paul's been on this journey through many of these places before. He knows these people. They know him. He's encouraged them about what it means to be the church, to be the believers who are in fellowship together and who are supporting one another. And a, an important part of this journey is his invitation, his call to these believers, these disciples, to give an offering that he will take back with him to the Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So he says to them in the letter to the Corinthians, Now concerning the collection for the saints, you should follow the directions I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn, so that collections need not be taken when I come. And when I arrive, I will send any whom you approve with letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. He's inviting them to support the larger church. And it's not just about the money. The money is important and will help meet some of the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. But remember, Paul's kind of had a rocky start. And, and, and this collection, this offering, along with these letters, will be a way to help build bridges between the Christians and our Jewish brothers and sisters. Paul is working uh, to not continue the, the division among the believers. And so he's doing this in an effort to uh, create some, some unity. This, this offering and even our call to give is not always about money. It really is about relationship and connection. Our relationship with God and our connection with one another. I invite you to keep that in mind as you wrestle with what it means that we are called to give. That it's not just our money. It's more than that, and it's deeper than that. Sometimes money's the easiest thing to give, but that's not what builds the relationship that binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Most of this uh, journey, this missionary journey, takes place in Ephesus, which is the, at the time the fourth largest city in that part of the world. It's a busy, busy city. It is a crossroads. It is a, a key location for the spread of Christianity from east to west. It is a seaport. It is bustling with activity all the time. This is the library, the Celsus Library, that was built between 115 and 125 AD, and uh, this facade is, uh, again, what it would look like. If you go, you can go, and I've actually, back in 2002, uh, was standing at the, in the bottom left corner there and, and got to see this library, which once held 12,000 scrolls. It's an amazing sight to behold. I told Frank, I finally uh, found a CD with pictures on it, uh, but I don't have a CD player at home anymore, and so I was not able to get those actual photos, but it looks just like this. And you can be in that space and imagine Paul and the disciples and the community uh, in this space. One of the other sites to see is if you uh, head to the library and you turn right and go further down the path is this amphitheater that at the time, at its peak, sat 25,000 people. 
that's bigger, as Frank said earlier, it's bigger than the Irwin Center, right? It's about 12 of these spaces. It's an amazing, amazing thing to try to comprehend that they didn't have walls around them. This was where they gathered for uh, the Gladiator Games, for important events. This would be where, uh, in, in part of... Uh, Part of the journey, Paul would be uh, basically discouraged, and they would be um, shouting at him and trying to get them to get rid of, of Paul. The, the theater would have been filled with people shouting and screaming and trying to get rid of Paul and his witness. Paul spends three years in this community, in this place. He had stopped here before on his way home on the second journey that he took, but he hadn't stayed. And when he arrived this time, he found some disciples, as we read in uh, verse 1 of chapter 19. He found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, into what then were you baptized? And they answered, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. He found some disciples, some people who clearly had heard of Jesus and were uh, walking in that way, but had not connected and plugged into the Holy Spirit, which really is our source of power as disciples, as followers of Jesus. When we baptize here, we talk about there's two parts. There's the water and the Spirit. John's baptism was about repentance and, and calling people to repentance and to new life. Uh, with Jesus' baptism, we now have the Holy Spirit that not only is about repentance, but it's about being empowered to live as a faithful follower of Jesus. So these disciples were uh, living out of their own, own will and own way, trying to follow uh, the way of Jesus. And Paul introduces them to the Holy Spirit. And they begin to um, speak in tongues, it says, and prophesy. They, they be, began, became filled with the Holy Spirit so that they were empowered beyond their own being. The Holy Spirit is who we all receive in baptism. The Holy Spirit is the advocate that Jesus promises to his disciples, the advocate that will come and be God's presence with them, that will guide them and teach them and convict them and encourage them and lead them, that will empower them to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts begins, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the acts of the apostles help us understand that this is what's happening all by the power of the Spirit at work in people, changing them, empowering them to live following Jesus, which is so different than the world around him. All the places that Paul visited, we've heard about the culture there and about how uh, the struggle was real against other gods and goddesses, uh, against other uh, opportunities to make money, against other ways of living that were contrary to God's way. By the power of the Spirit, we live as followers of Jesus, telling others about the good news, sharing the love of Christ, with one another, in particular in those places in which our culture tries to deny the love and power 
of Christ. Paul mentions the Spirit in his writings more than a hundred times. If you think about the writings that we have of Paul, they're mostly those letters that we read in the New Testament, right? Surely there were other writings, but just the letters that we have of Paul mentions the Spirit a hundred times. So we know that that's an important part of our journey. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is how the call to give becomes opportunity and not just an obligation. When we allow the Spirit to empower us and to dwell in us and to remind us of what we've received, then then we are free to give generously and joyfully whenever the opportunity presents itself for us to give. When we try to give on our own accord, when we try to give without discerning what to give to and how much to give and what that looks like, we will become weary and discouraged. We will potentially become cynical about all the demands on who we are and on what we have. But when we give because we have received the power of the Holy Spirit and because of what the Holy Spirit represents for us, then we're able to give generously and joyfully. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need to be able to give. The Holy Spirit gives us the presence of God. That's part of the promise that the Holy Spirit reminds us that God is with us. The Holy Spirit gives us the power of God to live into who God has created us to be. The Holy Spirit reminds us that our position in God's kingdom is secure. We are beloved children of God. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that that's who we are. We're heirs of God's kingdom. We begin to understand when we receive that, that that we give only because of what we've been given. We love only because we've been loved. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. So then the call to give becomes opportunity, not obligation. Then the call to give, we can respond to generously and joyfully because we're not giving out of our own energy. We're giving out of the power of the Spirit in us. And we're giving because we know who we are and we know that we have received. The Holy Spirit gives us this, but sometimes we're not necessarily connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it is that we know of the Holy Spirit, but we don't necessarily know the Holy Spirit. I wonder if if maybe if you're feeling tired and worn out and cynical about giving, maybe it is that, that you need to plug in in a different way to the power of the Spirit at work in you. Maybe it is that, that you need to know the Spirit in a different way way and let go of the obligation and look for the opportunity to give as we have been called to give. The Holy Spirit is how Paul is able to give all that he does on all of his journeys. And it it costs Paul something, and it will cost us something too. We're giving for the kingdom of God. We're giving because we've made our place secure. The Holy Spirit's made our place secure in the kingdom. We are beloved children of God, and we live in the kingdom of God that is different from the world around us. So it will cost us something as it costs Paul. Paul gives up his way of life for the way of life in Christ. Remember, Paul was persecuting the Christians. Paul was demanding that they be killed. Paul was the enemy until the Holy Spirit encountered him 
and changed him and empowered him. Paul gave up power and position in order to live for Christ. We have to be willing to give up the things of our identity in the world so that we can live with the identity as beloved children of God. It costs Paul relationally, it costs him economically, it costs him uh, being in these situations where he's giving of himself in the power of the Holy Spirit and people don't like what he's saying, right? Because when God begins to work, things begin to change and the truth is most of us don't like change either. And so Paul had to stay grounded in who he was just as we're invited to stay grounded in who we are as beloved children. The power of the Holy Spirit within us is what allows us to give generously and joyfully. Paul understood that he wasn't giving of his own will and power. He was giving only by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, as Paul had to give up certain ways of living and certain things, sometimes in order to respond to the call to give, we actually have to give something up. Ephesus was known for selling uh, these incantations, these uh, writings on little slips uh, of paper that would uh, be sold with the promise of providing healing. So it might have an incantation, or we might call it a spell, some kind of magic wording that the person who bought it was supposed to say the words, and it might have instructions, too, uh, about um, how to hold it or how to to be present or, or what to do with it. And the people that were selling them were making a lot of money selling these magic incantations for healing because the truth is when we want healing, When we're desperate for healing, there's really very little that we won't do. If someone promises us that this one thing will make us better, when we're desperate enough, we will try anything. And so Paul comes to town, and he starts telling about the love of Jesus that is healing. He starts telling about the forgiveness that we know in Christ, the love that we know in Christ, the power of the Spirit to change our lives, that salvation, that wholeness that Jesus offers to us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, people's lives are changed. They begin to see the emptiness of these incantations that they've been buying. And they begin to understand that what they're giving It's not benefiting them. It's only benefiting those who are selling them to them. And so we understand out of Acts 19, maybe. Let's go to later in, in 19. Many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices that they were not only buying these, but many were selling them. A number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. When the value of these books was calculated, it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. 50,000 silver coins. Uh, In that day, one silver coin was kind of the average day's wage. And so if you consider that in the United States, an average day's wage, and of course there's all sorts of variables, but an average day's wage is $100. Then the value of these uh, spell books and, and incantations and scrolls that was burned was about $5 million. 
This was not a small impact for the economy of those who were selling the incantations. We're asked to be wise in what we spend and how we spend and where we give. And sometimes we give in hopes of receiving something that will benefit us. And sometimes we'll give to things that really are empty of any kind of real hope. Right? Now, maybe you know someone who's won the lottery. I don't know. I've not, I don't know anybody who's won the lottery. I know a lot of people who give money to buy a piece of paper in hopes of winning money. Right? Uh, my granddad, when lottery tickets first came out, he would, he would go to the gas station and buy lottery tickets. And I would, every time I talked to him, well, did you win today? Well, no, they didn't have my number. You know, what if instead of spending money on something like lottery tickets, you uh, set that money aside and at the end of the month did something with it to help someone else? Right? We, sometimes we spend money on things. We don't even think about what we're actually spending money on. It's part of the culture in which we live. I had one friend who, whose kids were begging her to buy, give them money to buy a lottery ticket. And finally, kids can be relentless in their pursuit of what they want. Uh, so finally, she gave each of them a $10 bill, as they, and they were driving. And she said, and then she rolled down their windows. And she said, All right, I want you to take that $10 bill and throw it out the window. I said, no, no, no. We want to buy uh, lottery tickets with it. She goes, no, I want you to throw it out the window. And she made them throw that $10 out the window and said, that's exactly what you would be doing if you bought a piece of paper that's a lottery ticket. And they never asked (laughs) for money for lottery tickets again, right? The call to give empowered by the Holy Spirit means that we have to be wise in what we're giving and why we're giving. The people who were longing for healing were willing to give whatever they had, but they were giving it to the wrong source of healing. Sometimes we have to give up the things that we think will satisfy us in order to be open to what really will satisfy us. And I, so I, I just wonder, it doesn't have to be a lottery ticket. There's lots of things that we put our hope and our security in. Maybe there's something for you that God's asking you to give up in order to receive more fully who you are so that the call to give really is an opportunity for you to do so with joy. Sometimes the call to give means a deeper willingness to receive what's been given to us. Paul would write to the Corinthians, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, You may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. 
Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul's reminding them, this offering that I'm inviting you to give, this is why you're giving it. This is how you're giving it. The God who supplies the seed for the sower and the bread will bless you in your giving. I hadn't really paid attention to this uh, until this week as I was reading it. He supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food uh, you will, uh, and will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. But the only way to multiply the seed for sowing and increase the harvest is if you actually plant the seed that you've been given in the first place. Right? You can't harvest if you don't plant the seed. You can't reap the benefit of generosity unless you've actually given. And the point is, God is who supplies all that we need for the work God asks us to do. Nick was saying that that we tend in this culture to live with this mindset of scarcity. We're worried that there won't be enough. And so we hoard things, and we don't really want to share, and we don't really for sure want to share our best. We'll give you leftovers, but we don't want to give you from our abundance of what we have, right? We live in fear of not having enough, which is exactly contrary to what Scripture tells us about how God loves us and cares for us. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're beloved children of God. We're heirs of the kingdom, co-heirs with Christ. The kingdom of God is ours. We are beloved children of God. That's where we start. We can't earn God's love. We can't save enough to get God to love us more. We can't make God love us less. We are loved as beloved children of God. Everything that is God's is ours. When we can believe that, when we can receive that that's what we've been given, then we're free to give. We're free to love. We're free to forgive. Because it starts with what God has given to us. And we don't have to worry about whether God will decide that we don't get anymore. This God is a God of abundance who provides for us all that we need so that we can give abundantly out of what we have. And not only that, when we give, it's not just about meeting the needs of other people. It glorifies God. It makes us more like Christ who gave everything for us. It's hard in this culture in particular, I think, maybe around the world, but this is the culture we live in, it's hard not to get caught up in the mindset of scarcity. When you listen to the news or when you look at the world around us, when you start looking at your life and comparing your life to your neighbor's life or to someone else's life or your stuff to someone else's stuff or your gifts and talents to someone else's gifts and talents, We're so busy looking around us at other people that we're not even cognizant of what God is doing in us or what God has done 
for us and in us. We're looking in the wrong place for the healing and the hope and the joy. The Spirit provides that for us. When we plug ourselves into the power of the Spirit, when we receive. Now, some of us struggle with receiving all that God has given to us. That doesn't change the fact that God's given it to us. So maybe, maybe it's not about you needing to give something up in order to respond to a call to give. Maybe, maybe for you, it is simply receiving in a deeper way all that you have been given. And when you get that, then you're willing to give joyfully and generously. In Christ, all that we need is provided for us. I wonder what that looks like for you today. I wonder what this call to give, how that resonates with you. I wonder if when you came in and saw that, or when we started uh, talking together, if you just kind of wandered off and started making your grocery list, or what you're going to watch on Netflix later when you get home, or, uh, or the British Open, who's ahead. I don't even know what this, who's ahead right now, Tim. I'm sure you do. Because we're so, um, we struggle with this idea of giving and being asked to give constantly. And I think it's because we're not grounded in why we give and how we give. It's the power of the Spirit in us. We have the same resources. We just have different amounts of those resources. It's not about someone else having a different resource. We all have gifts and talents. We all have time. We all have attention. We all have ourselves to be present with someone or for someone. It's not about not having resources. We all have resources. It's about using them in a way that the Spirit is using them in us and through us. And it's the same call. Nobody gets exempted from this call to give. It's part of who we are as people of faith. It will probably cost you something to respond to this call to give in a way that you can see it as opportunity and not obligation probably will cost you something. It might cost you uh, a position in society. It might cost you reputation. It might cost you um, a a place in, in your family system that is different from what you've previously held. It might cost you relationship when you decide to give a certain way or when you stop giving in a certain way. It, it might cost you a lot, but it will never cost you more than what God has given to you. You can't outgive God. God supplies the seed and the bread. But you have to plant the seed in order for the harvest to produce. Abundance is what God offers to us, and so often we choose scarcity. I wonder if you'll choose abundance today. If you'll choose to know that that's where we live. We can never give more than what God has given to us. We can never outgive God. Because when you think about what we're really offering, when, when we're beloved children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, what we're offering to one another is Jesus. 
And when we think about the fact that we're offering Jesus when we give, when we respond to this call to give, what we're really offering is Jesus, then hold on to the fact that Jesus gave everything for you and for me. So unless you have more than everything to give, you can't outgive what you've received. And the challenge, I think, for us in our culture is to be willing to see that, to live in that, and to give, trusting the giver, rather than being worried about what we get in return. Because we already have all that we need. So I invite you, as you go back out into the world, uh, tonight even, but this week in different places, and you're being asked to give of your time or your talent or your money or whatever that is, your wisdom, your experience, be mindful of how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and affirming you and encouraging you and guiding you into where to give and where not to give and how to give so that it's not obligation, but it's an opportunity to reflect the generosity and the abundance of God that we have all received. Let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you have given everything for us, and sometimes we simply forget how vast that is. We pray that you would help us let go of the ways of the world around us to the extent that we can really understand and take hold of the fact that who we are as your beloved children means that we are free to love and give generously and joyfully, to give because we've received. We pray that you would help shift our focus from our eyes being on only the people around us, the world around us, and what the world offers or doesn't offer, or how we need to compete for resources, that you would shift our eyes to be looking at you as the giver of all things, as the supplier of all things. And that we would trust that your love for us means that you provide all that we need. We will all respond differently to this call to give. But help us to not choose to not respond at all. It is your kingdom that we seek. It's your kingdom in which we find ourselves dwelling. And it is your love that as we receive it, we pray that we would honor you by offering it all whom you put in our path. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.